0: You are listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Twice as much is spent on healthcare per person in the U.S. than is spent in other developed countries, and yet the U.S. ranks near the bottom in life expectancy, infant mortality, and overall performance. Why is healthcare an increasingly expensive commodity? And what are the reasons that $2.2 trillion is spent on healthcare in the U.S. each year? Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Chicago is my guest, Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago, and author of the book Naked Economics Undressing the Dismal Science. Welcome, Dr. Whelan. Good to be with you. Dr. Whelan, according to your article entitled Top 10 Reasons for Soaring Healthcare Costs, healthcare is the single most intractable public policy problem the U.S. faces. What makes this such a difficult issue?
1: Well, there's a couple things going on. One is that the substance is more complicated than any other issue I've ever been involved with. It's got more moving parts, it's got more players. It's got more information problems, meaning that basically it's just harder to assess what needs to be done without really expensive monitoring. So, for example, just to give you one tiny little snippet, if a physician is making a diagnosis and it's really expensive, we don't really know whether that's something that's necessary or not. And if you can't monitor that and a third party has to pay the bill – it gets very difficult to keep costs under control. You don't want to say no to expensive care that's going to do great things. On the other hand, you don't want to be greenlighting expensive care that is unnecessary or where there's an alternative that's cheaper. And I think what makes health care different than any other good in the economy or most other goods is the consumer has no incentive to monitor costs in most cases. Basically, if the physician says you should do something and it's expensive and you've got a third-party payer, you're going to say, yes, let's do it. So that's one little piece of the substance that's so difficult. And then you you marry that to the fact that the politics of it are so difficult. We have ideological differences in this country, the most basic one being whether you think health care is a right or a privilege. And so if we don't agree on that, then we obviously aren't going to agree on whether we ought to have universal health care or not. We have the baggage of the plan in the 1990s when the Clintons took on health care reform. Everybody saw that that was kind of a train wreck. And so it's a tough one to touch, and yet costs go up. The uninsured population goes up. We perform poorly relative to other industrialized countries. So it needs to be tweaked or fixed or overhauled, but it's not easy.
0: Given everything that you just said, is our current health care system sustainable, or will there eventually be a need to redesign the system due to the demands upon it?
1: You know, it's probably a bit like Social Security or Medicare, which of course is part of the healthcare system, where basically when you project out 20 years, we're going to be spending more money than we have on the system. So, did you know we're going to fix it? We're not going to get to that point. So, no, it's not necessarily sustainable. We're going to get to a point where we're paying so much and the outcomes are not corresponding to what we're spending that we're going to tweak it. I don't know that it's going to collapse in flames although sometimes that's what it takes to get people to act. I don't know. I'll give you an environmental analogy. In the, I think it was the early 70s, there had been a lot of talk about the environmental movement, but when the Cuyahoga River actually caught fire in Cleveland, that was when people decided that we ought to do something. When a river catches fire, you know there's some serious pollution going on. We haven't had that equivalent in health yet, but you can see the system bending to the point that maybe we're going to get
0: there. Well, and it sounds yeah like you're predicting fire. You've made the argument that healthcare is likely to get more expensive in the future regardless of the patches we put on the system. Why is this?
1: Well, I think what I fear most is some kind of vicious cycle where premiums continue to go up. Businesses, therefore, are less likely to provide benefits or individuals who are offered those benefits are less likely to buy them. So your uninsured population goes up that those costs when those folks turn up in emergency rooms then filter back into the insured market they've got to raise costs and basically you could have the cycle of a increasing uninsured population and rising premiums causing more people to ditch the system. So I think that that's probably one of your worst case scenarios, but by and large I think people are looking around feeling a sense of discontent and I would add one other political complexity yeah, and we've talked about this before, is that most people think the system is broken, and yet a majority of people are happy with their own coverage. And so what the Clintons found in 1990 when they opened up the hood was there was this sense of anxiety that people were saying basically, okay, fix it, but make sure you don't make me worse off.
0: It makes me wonder, do you think that there's a difference between putting patches on the system in making a substantial change, a complete overhaul, or is it is that just more patches? Is it inevitable that this is going to just keep going on as it is?
1: I think it's more likely that we're going to do big patches, fairly serious patches. I don't think that we'll do a design-it-from-the-grounds-up overhaul for two reasons. One is politically, I just don't think we'll get people to agree on what that new built-from-scratch system ought to look like. Politically, I think it's much easier to take incremental steps. The second, and I say this as somebody you know who spent my career in public policy, is I would have serious qualms about whether a built-from-scratch policy would actually work like it's supposed to. We we wouldn't have really, unless we completely emulated a system from some other country. And even then, we've got different demographics, different history. I'd be really worried about whether whether it was going to work. When you look at what happened to the Clintons in the '90s, there were all kinds of political problems and everything else. But I think there were also a group of folks, and I'd probably put myself in this camp who said the system's got to be fixed, this is what they're proposing, I can't honestly say that I think it's going to work. It may work, it may not. So I think there'd be the uncertainty... The substantive uncertainty that would surround any built from scratch program would concern those folks who work in the field of health policy.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago and author of the book Naked Economics Undressing the Dismal Science. Dr. Whelan, one factor that you cite as increasing the cost of health care is that no one shops for value. How does this impact the cost of health care?
1: In any other aspect of the economy, consumers are the ones who monitor price. They're the ones who trade off what they're getting versus what they're paying. When you, know, when you walk into a television showroom and you look at the, the very best TV, you say, okay, that's a great TV, but it's, it costs five times as much as other TV that's a decent TV, and I'd rather do something else with the money that would be the difference. Healthcare is different in two respects. One is that someone else pays the bill, in most cases, if you're insurer or you're under Medicare or something like that. So now let's imagine we had television insurance, and you walked into the showroom, and Blue Cross Blue Shield was going to get the bill for whatever TV you picked out. At that point, what is your incentive to say, well, gee, this one's five times as much and the picture's only marginally better, but the picture's marginally better, so I'm going to take the big one. And so you, that's difficult. If the consumer's not monitoring price, and certainly the salesperson isn't, then who is? And it's going to either take a Herculean effort on the part of Blue Cross Blue Shield to monitor the TV showroom, or you just get lots of expensive health care. The second fact, I think, is one that doesn't go away no matter how you fund it, which is basically people don't want cheaper health care if it means slightly worse outcomes. So, you know, Have you ever heard somebody say, you should go to my heart surgeon He's not quite as good as the people at that other hospital, but oh my goodness, he's a quarter the price.
0: Well, maybe not with regard to the heart surgeon, but there is a new development that is introducing choice for consumers in healthcare, walking clinics at retail stores. And so there, instead of making an appointment and sitting in a waiting room, people are opting to go to drug stores for flu shots, vaccines, and even minor injuries. It's less expensive than an office visit and far less expensive than an emergency room visit. How do you think that that might be opening up care options?
1: I think that's actually a terrific and encouraging development. I think you're absolutely right. For stuff, you know, heart surgery is the extreme example, but for immunizations, for the common cold, for preventive care, that basically it's shopping around for price, having somebody who offers it relatively cheaply in a convenient way is really, really important. And I think you also hit on an important point, which is that a big chunk of the cost is your time cost. You know, do I want to take a half day off work? to go in and see an overcrowded physician or something like that. So I think this is actually a really encouraging trend in terms of delivering basic care. It's not going to do much, though, in terms of reducing a lot of the cost load because the really expensive stuff, is the heart surgery, the hip replacements. And those are the things you're not going to walk into Walgreens and have somebody do.
0: No. But, you know, interestingly, in response to the drugstore clinics, the American Academy of Family Physicians recommended that their members offer same-day service and some practitioners on their own extended hours in response to the competition. I wonder, though, are they just serving the same people, and could this really make a dent in the problem of, of serving those who are usually left out?
1: I think it'll make a dent. I'm not sure that I would call for much more than a dent because, again, the people who are left out are often left out for the big-ticket items. So if you need cancer treatment or you need the hip replacement or something like that, you're not going to get it if you're not insured. And this is nice. I think that the biggest potential advantage might be that people would get immunizations and preventive care and perhaps have their blood pressure monitored. things that actually could have big payoffs down the road, with relatively small interventions up front. So there's some potential there. But it's a small Band-Aid in terms of the overall system, and it doesn't preclude other major changes.
0: Right. With regard to those more important types of medical care, medical professionals are always investigating new treatment options. Why doesn't medical innovation decrease health care costs?
1: Because there's no real incentive to do it. And I think the great analogy is that basically in the auto industry, we've had a couple kinds of innovation. We've had better cars that are more expensive. You can go out and buy the Mercedes Maybach if you want. But at the same time, we had companies like Toyota and Honda coming in and innovating and offering more fuel-efficient, cheaper, higher-quality cars that were also more affordable. And because there was a market for that, there's no car insurance in the sense that someone goes out and buys the car for you only if you happen to wreck it. And so the market was there because people were paying out of pocket. In the case of health, insurance. We've never really had an incentive for somebody to find a cheaper way to do the same thing because you can get reimbursed for doing a more expensive, slightly better version of the same thing. Someone, you know, as long as there's that third-party payer. So, the incentives in healthcare have never been aligned in such a way that somebody can make a lot of money by doing something that doesn't necessarily produce a better outcome. You know, the Toyota is not a better car than the Mercedes E-Class but that would be a cheaper version that provides a roughly comparable outcome. So until those incentives change, I don't think you're going to see it.
0: Another area where there's a similar incentive is in the uh, drug industry. The current system is designed so that new drugs will be expensive, which in turn creates the incentive to discover such drugs in the first place. But what about the argument that the system drives companies to develop drugs that will be profitable instead of drugs that will serve a needy but less profitable population?
1: Sure. Well, let me give you what I think is the fundamental economic question, which is suppose a pharmaceutical company comes up with a drug that is 3% more effective and costs 10 times as much. What do we do about it? And by and large, in America, you'll get the drug that is 10 times more, if you're insured, you'll get the drug that is 10 times more expensive and 3% more effective. And you're going to want it, right? Who wants to go to a sick child and say, you're not getting the very best drug that we can get. Nobody wants to make that trade off. If it were Britain, the National Health Service has said on some occasion that yes, this is actually better than the existing drug we've got, but it's not good enough to justify the added cost.
0: Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Whelan.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.